there are many things that we all acknowledge we just don't want to talk about. There are all kinds of things that we're aware of, but we just don't know what to do about it. And this was not planned because we were doing the memorials today. But a few months ago, in some conversation with some of the staff as we were looking forward to plans and putting some things in place, I just said that I had had this overwhelming sense that we need to have some conversations about grieving. And as we talked about it, we talked about so much misunderstanding and so much misinformation and so much hurt in the area of grieving. And so as I was laying things out for this series and this year, I knew that at some point I needed to address this. And I purposely did not want to do it today, but the Lord overrode me. He vetoed my plans. And as I should always do, I decided his plans are better than mine. <laughs> so today we're taking a look at the fact that it's time to grieve. And the Bible talks a lot about grief. And we're going to look extensively at John chapter 11, John in the New Testament the death of Lazarus and his resurrection. But the Bible talks and shows about grief and mourning in a lot of different places. In um, Psalm 38, verse 6, the psalmist said, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. That's somebody who understood grief. And in Jeremiah 10, verse 19, said, Woe to me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is an affliction, and I must bear it. And in Matthew 28, excuse me, in Matthew 26, Verse 38, it said, And then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And then in John chapter 11, beginning of verse 17, Jesus' friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Jesus had gotten word that his friend Lazarus was sick. And by the time Jesus went there, he had died. In fact, the scripture says he had been dead and buried for four days. And there was a lot of misunderstanding, and we don't have time for this part this morning, but I encourage you to read thoroughly through that chapter there was misunderstanding. Why didn't Jesus come sooner? And couldn't he have stopped this? And on and on. And we do know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, for most of us, we're not going to see that. 
with someone. But God's still God, so if he wants to, he can. And we do see him doing that in individual lives all the time. When somebody goes from death to life, when they accept Christ as their Savior, they're coming from death to life. We're going to celebrate in a, about three weeks on a baptism Sunday, people testifying to coming from death to life. And it's the symbolism of baptism being immersed in the water representing death and then coming up to life. And as I share with those who are being baptized, I mean, I'll try not to make it symbolic, but if I don't let you up, it'll be reality. So be nice to me. So far, everybody's gone along with that. But grief is something that is so misunderstood. And I want you to notice and listen in this passage. It's rather lengthy, but I think it's important to read all of this. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. John chapter 11, beginning of verse 17 says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And then she had, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, somebody else said that to him. My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. 
for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I think there are many of us caught in grief who need that last phrase to come true. To be unbound and let go. Not that all the pain would go away, not that the loss wouldn't still be felt, but that we recognize God is still God. He still loves us, and he will guide us to make it through whatever we're facing. Now, I think uh, some things that we need to understand about grief. Number one is that grief has many areas. There are many areas of grief. We generally think of grief and the loss of a loved one. And that may be the most powerful one. But it's not the only one. Anytime there's a loss, there's grief. Somebody loses their job, they're grieving. Ask somebody who's gone through divorce. There's grieving. When we move, there's grieving, even if it was by our choice. One of the things that not enough pastors and their families recognize is that there's grief even when you choose. And God calls you to another place. There's a grief in leaving those you've served with and loved. It took Jody and I quite a while to recognize these torn up emotions in the midst of a move because you're excited about where God is leading you and yet you're leaving behind some awesome people. There's grief that can come through loss of a friendship. Grief that can come when somebody else moves. There's grief that can come through loss of mobility or freedom. Grief that can come through loss of hope. All kinds of areas can be grief. And I think we need to acknowledge and recognize those. We're never going to move past or heal if we don't. But we also need to understand this, and Scripture shows this in the passage in John 11. We do not all react alike to grief. You look at verses 19 through 21, it says that, you know, Jesus showed up and Mary and Martha had people consoling them. And let me insert here, in the culture at that time, you sometimes hired people to come and mourn for your loved one who had died. There were professional mourners. Job applications online. 
there was one time I went, man, I'd be a, what a what an awesome job, just weep and wail for. And I thought, then I thought, what a terrible job. All you're doing is weeping and wailing, and maybe not even knowing them. But you have to understand that there were people there to console them, people who honestly were there grieving with them, and there may have been some professional grievers among them. But then in verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Mary and Martha did not react the same. We do not all react the same to grief. We need to understand that and give grace for how other people are responding to the grief we're feeling. Too many times we assume we know how to grieve and you're not doing it right because you're not doing it like I am. <laughs> I know that because it's been told to me before. We do not all react the same. We don't react the same to anything. We're just different. I mean, some of you show no excitement about life. Gotta love me to get to heaven. And some of you show excitement about the most mundane things in life. I love you both. We just aren't the same. So we're not going to react the same when it comes to grief. You need to understand that and give permission to the other person to grieve differently than you do. Mary and Martha had to work through that. You read through all the stories of Mary and Martha. They didn't agree about a lot of stuff. Surely they didn't in this case. We don't all react the same. Don't worry about the pace of your grief that others attempt to impose on you. Also, all of us at some point in grief, no matter what the reason or area of our grief is, we all need connection with others. Verse 19, there were those who came to console uh, Mary and Martha. Verse 28, Martha then went back and said to Mary, come, Jesus, the teacher is here. And forced her into this connection and contact with Jesus at that point. Verse 31, when the Jews who were with Martha saw her get up to go, or Mary saw her get up to go, they got up to go with her. We need connection. In times of grief, we need connection in a lot of times, but we especially do during this time. Isolation rarely helps the grieving process. You may need periods of aloneness. That's different than isolation. Alone is, let me pull away for a while, and we all need that. Jesus did that. Isolation is, I put up the walls. And nobody's getting near me. Isolation will not help. Times of being alone with you and God can certainly help. But be careful that you distinguish the difference. We all need some connection with others. Also, when you are in the midst of grieving, sometimes Jesus seems far away. Both Mary and Martha said 
nearly identical things to Jesus when they first saw him. If you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. What were they saying? They were saying, where were you? I remember somebody saying that to me as we were talking about some grief that they had gone through. And we were just talking about that time period in our lives. And they did say to me, I wondered where you were. They were right and it hurt. And I had to ask their forgiveness. We need that connection with others. And during that time, we can think Jesus is far away. Now, that's our perception. It's not the reality. Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. But sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? That's one reason we need connection with others who can be there with us and for us and even nudge us in the reminders that God is still God. Jesus is still the Christ and Messiah and Lord and Savior. In those moments when Jesus seems far away, make sure you don't run away. If Jesus seems far away, don't run away. Allow him to come. Allow him to minister to you. Also, when it comes to grief, there's not a designated timeline for grief, just like there's not an acceptable method of acting when we're grieving. There's not, the, there's not a universal timeline when it comes to grief. And we need to resist the temptation to tell somebody else where they should be in their grief. Shame on us when we do that. Now, do we need to progress? Yes, if we understand that progress doesn't mean getting over. Don't, please don't say that phrase to anybody who's grieving. You need to get over this. We don't get over loss. We heal and we adjust, but we don't get over it. But the different timelines allow for that. That people may not be where you think they should be. Guess what? You're probably not where they think you should be either. We have different timelines. It also is powerful and healthy to remember. Whatever the grief is. To remember and especially in the loss of a loved one. To remember that person. We need to share memories and stories. I say it at every funeral that I do to share those stories. As you think of them, share them with somebody else that you know knew them. Or tell somebody that didn't know them about them. It's one reason that we still do funeral dinners. And Diane Heron and her crew deserve huge accolades. And this church does for saying we're going to do this. For families, a lot of churches have abandoned that. But it's powerful and necessary for them to gather together, even in that fresh moment of grief, to share some stories. 
the funny ones and the serious ones, the ones that have a shake in our head. And you're going to do that and some are going to, oh, yeah, I remember that. And others are going to go, I never heard that before. Share the stories and the memories. The person has died, but the memories don't need to. That's the beauty of memory. It's healthy to remember. If they've passed away, keep mentioning their names. There's this perception that if somebody has lost a loved one, especially a spouse or a child, we have a tendency to not ever want to say that name around them because we're afraid we're going to create pain. They're already in pain. And not hearing their name makes the pain worse. Hearing the pain brings up memories or hearing the name brings up memories. But it also is comforting to realize they've not been forgotten. Jesus said, show me where he's been laid. Jesus talked about Lazarus. Keep mentioning their name. Now you're going to have times where you think they're still here also. I always share with families four stages of grief and losing a loved one. When you first hear about it, at whatever comes next, whether it's at a funeral home or some other type of service, when that service or memorial or gathering is done and the finality hits you, but there's a fourth one most people don't think about. And it's going to happen multiple times in different ways for every person. But it will happen. Something is going to remind you of them. A song. A TV show. A certain smell. Seeing a certain person. It's going to remind you of them. And in that moment, you're going to be surprised, even if you're expecting it, of what you feel. And it'll happen multiple times. My mom's been gone a long time. And just recently, something came up and it's like, man, mom would have loved that. My dad's been gone five years and about two weeks ago, it's like, I need to call dad and tell him about this. He would love to hear this. You may even have moments if you're in the same house where you lived with them, where you turn to the chair they always sat in and start to say something or start dialing the phone or start driving there. It's okay. It's normal. And my prayer is always that in those moments, the words that people have expressed to you of comfort, of remembrance, of love will come flooding back. And that in that moment, you'll feel God in a fresh new way. And in fact, I encourage you, I just said this yesterday at a funeral, that when that happens, call somebody you know who knew them and say, I was just thinking about Whatever it was, you may be stunned to find out so were they. And even if they weren't, it's somebody that you're making a connection with.
who can just be with you. You see, we sometimes don't understand the ministry of presence because the ministry of presence is powerful to those who are grieving, whether it's from loss of a job, a divorce, a move, or the loss of a loved one. The ministry of presence is so powerful to just be there for somebody. Read the book of Job. You go, I've read the book of Job. His friends were jerks. Well, that's true, but the first seven days, his friends were awesome because they didn't say anything. They just showed up. It's when they opened their mouth, they got in trouble. I don't, I don't want to go to a visitation. I don't know what to say to them. Don't say anything. Shake their hand. Hug them. Just say, I'm so sorry. Just say, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. There's really no magic words. But you showing up or sending that card or making that call or sending that text when they're hurting from whatever it is, is the most powerful thing you can do. Also understand, when they are in the midst of grief, you need to listen carefully. Not just to what they're saying, but what they're not saying. And that's a time that we need to do something if there's something to be done. And the mistake we make, and I do it too, too many times, is we say, if you need anything, let me know. We mean it. It's sincere. It's wonderful. The problem is they don't know what they need. They're hurting. Instead, say, I'm sending a meal over. I'm coming and grabbing your laundry to do it. I'm going to come and clean your house. Now, that's some commitment. The ministry of presence. Imagine what we could do just with those of us gathered here, let alone all those who are tuning in online. If we chose to focus on a ministry of presence, of showing up for people. I'm here. What else do I say? Most of the time, not another thing. Let God lead what happens next. But make sure they know you're here. Because that's going to remind them God's here too. And lastly... One of the difficulties of grief is it's not always visible. If somebody didn't know that Lazarus had died when they came by Mary and Martha, they might have even thought they were just having a big gathering. Grief is not always visible. And especially because we all do it the same. Unseen pain is still pain. Somebody who's hurting physically doesn't always show it, and some do. Someone who's hurting emotionally because of a diagnosis of a loved one doesn't always show it, but they're still hurting. Pray and ask God to give you discernment. 
to see and to sense pain and then show up. We need to pray for them. Not just say we'll pray for them. If we prayed as often as we said we were going to pray, we'd change the world. It's part of why we're doing this on Monday nights. Is The Lord convicted me and I was like, Lord, I'm tired of saying it. I'm going to do it. Just designate some time. Let people know. Whether you can see it or not. Grief rarely shows up at a glance. But when we use the ministry of presence, we'll see and hear and be able to help no matter what they're going through. Maybe you've got some grief you're hiding. That's okay. We all do it differently. Or maybe the Lord's sparking in you this morning a name of somebody you need to give a ministry of presence to. And I encourage you to do it. Talk to Jesus about it and about them. Let them know you're praying for them. And then really pray. Come back to them and say, I've been praying. Is there anything new I can pray about? So they know you're praying. It's time to grieve. Some of you have been trying to avoid it. It's time to do it. Some of you have been resisting a prompt to reach out to somebody who you know is grieving. It's time to do it. And all of us it's time to say, Lord, show me and guide me. And then put some feet to our faith to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Say, I'm not comfortable. Let me tell you, neither are they. Do it anyway. Let's stand together.